Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and we'll well, if you will take your Bibles tonight, uh, whether it be on your phone, whether it be your your actual Bible there, a hard copy, uh, and and open it to First Timothy. Here, in just a moment, we're going to read a short passage from First Timothy and a passage from Titus that deal with the qualifications of an elder. But I want to read to you some quotes first. Okay, just just listen to these quotes. Character is much better kept than recovered. Character is not made in a crisis, but exhibited in a crisis. You sow a thought. You reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap character. You sow character, and you reap a destiny. There is a close association in our life to our character and what we can and will accomplish in in our in our walk with God and and in I hate to say our everyday lives because that's supposed to be our walk with God. You know that, but you see what I mean. Now I want you to keep that idea of character in mind. And let's look at two different passages. The first from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes these words. He said, here is a trustworthy saying. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV tonight, but we're going to look at some different translations throughout our study. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be, become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, flip with me to the book of Titus, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put into order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. As I directed you, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose care, whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Uh, So those are our two uh, launching verses for tonight. And as you think about these two passages, I want you to think about not only what is there, I want you to think about what is not there tonight. Paul does not address the financial situation of a man that would serve as an elder. Paul does not address the successful business nature or a full bank account uh, or a wall full of degrees. He does not make those criterias. Uh, It does not talk about things that the world would consider success, and it does not talk about things that you would look at someone and say, these are the job qualifications of an earthly job. Rather, Paul says to be a leader in the church, you must have a great character. 
You must have a great character. You must be faithful in your walk with God, and your character must represent that faithful walk. And so as we approach this passage tonight, I want us to talk about I want us to talk about the, the the qualifications of an elder in three different ways. Now, let me just be real and honest with you for a second. It's hard to teach this particular topic without just kind of being bullet point, this point, this point, this point. This is what this means, this is what that means. There's not a whole lot of um, there's not a whole lot of commentary in it necessarily. It's just trying to to define some things for you. But I want us to maybe try to to approach this in a way of looking at uh, a man's life that is desiring to be an elder uh, in in three different ways: looking at his heart, looking at his humanity, and looking at his home. Okay, looking at his heart, looking at his humanity, and looking at his home. So, so let's begin. We're going to kind of, and the reason that we're going to do this in this way is so that we're not just going bullet point by bullet point, that we're just making some observations here, um, although there will be some point by point stuff. So just follow with me, okay, here, just follow with me. The first thing as we think about a man's heart is he is a man who is to desire who is to desire the position of an elder or an overseer, as some of your translations say. And this word, uh, desire, it simply means one that sets one's heart upon something, okay? The idea is that it is a person that that has his heart set and his desires on serving God in this way. And, and it's interesting because what he seems to be bringing out is that it is a heart issue, the heart issue is part of the criteria, that your your willingness should be to serve God with your talents and abilities however you can, that you're devoted to serving. Far before you're ever made an elder, you're devoted to serving God in the greatest way possible. And the reason I point that out is because so many times this verse has been used as a cop-out from guys. You know, many guys have said, I don't desire it, so I can't do it. My question is this, what do you have your heart set on? I want you to think about that question. What do you have your heart set on? Because what your heart is set on is what's going to lead you to serve in the kingdom of God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus said. And so if you're investing in heavenly things, if you're uh, trying to get your talents to grow and using them to the greatest uh, way and the greatest place in the kingdom, when that moment comes for someone to step up and lead, I truly believe that you will desire to do that because that's what God needs and wants from you. Again, that's some of that is Matthew's opinion, and I get that, but, but I want you to, to understand some of that as well. But as we continue to talk about a person's heart, I believe that he makes a very clear picture here that a man that desires to be an elder has to be a man who is humble. Now, the word humble is not used in this particular two passages, but but the idea of humility is is all throughout it. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, he says that a man has to be self-controlled, or as the King James says there, sober-minded. And it means to be a decent, humble-minded, and just modest person. Uh, the, the idea is echoed in, in the Titus passage in verse 7. 
where the New American Standard uses the phrase not self-willed or not being arrogant or prideful. You know, a man must behave um, like a, 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 a not, not an arrogant person, must be someone who is willing to listen to others. And, and a person, who, and this is the big kicker here, who is really only concerned about God's way, not worried about getting his way, not worried about his opinion, not worried about what he wants, but he's worried about what God wants. He's humble unto God. But then there's also the idea of being gentle in 1 Timothy 3. And it carries the idea of, of, of being kind of not having an aggressive personality. Someone, and I think this is important, as someone who is going to shepherd a flock, it's someone who is able to put up with the mistakes of others. And what I mean by putting up with is not just letting them go by, but not being someone that's quick to judge. A person that would rather help and build someone up than look at them, hurt them, and tear them down. So he has to have a gentle heart. But he also has to have a disciplined heart. And I believe there's several ideas here. There's the idea of being self-controlled, of, of, of having power over oneself. An elder must be a man that has tamed himself and his wildness in, in his life. He is to be sober-minded. He's to be sensible. Uh, a mature thinker is another way to think of that. He is, he is a thoughtful person that has good judgment. But then there's also the idea of he is temperate, as he says in Timothy. And the idea here is that he is well-balanced. He's not someone who jumps to conclusions and loses his temper, but he's also not someone who's very passive. He has a very balanced temper about him, temperament about him. But not only does it tell us that he is to be in control, but it tells us that there's some things that's not supposed to control him as an individual. He says, Titus, in Titus, he says, anger is to not control an elder. An elder does not need to have a short fuse. It should take him a long Listen, there are going to be moments when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with church stuff, when you're dealing with situations, when you're just dealing with life, that the, the natural emotion of anger is going to be there, okay? But how do you handle that when it shows up? Are you able to control it or does it control you? It plays, this idea plays into being a gentle person. He says that alcohol is to not control you. One cannot be in control when he is being controlled by a substance. And then money, Money is to not be one of those things that controls. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells us that money is the root of all evil, and an elder cannot be controlled by money. Now, that's the discipline of the heart. But I think as we still think about the heart of an elder, we have to think that he has to be someone who loves. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 8, he is to be a lover of what? Is good, and I think this is referring to a person that's going to just kind of be happy in life and focused on the positive things and not the negative things. You know, it's easy to get bogged down to lose sight of the positive things, especially right now, right? With with the COVID stuff, with the anxiety of school coming back up, with with even the anxiety of coming to church to some degree for some people, it is easy to become overwhelmed with the negative. We are in hot and heavy in election season. 
And election season seems to always bring out the best in us, right? Well, maybe not always, okay? Maybe not always. It's easy to get bogged down by the negative. But he says in Titus that the man that's going to be an elder is a man who is a lover of what is good. And that also he is someone who is devoted. An elder is to be someone that is devoted to the Word of God. It's more important for an elder to know the Word than it is for him to be able to balance his checkbook. They need they don't need to rely on others to tell them what the Word of God says. They know it for themselves, and if they don't know it, they are not afraid or intimidated by the Word of God to the extent that they can't go find answers for themselves. They are students of the Word of God. They are also to be experienced. And in this, I mean, not a novice. He says that he's not a new convert, someone that literally is newly planted. They have some depth and they have some roots to their faith. Um, he is experienced in Christian life and he can, he can guide someone else who's not experienced. And so he is to be a man that is experienced just in Christian life, but also he is to be experienced in teaching the Word of God. You know, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 says he is able to teach. Now, I don't think I don't think that he is talking about just teaching in a classroom setting, okay? There are some men that are great in teaching in a classroom setting, but maybe they're not great on one-on-one sharing their faith. I, I believe what he's trying to get across here is he is a man that is capable of teaching the truth of God. And when moments come in his life to teach, he does, whether it be in groups, whether it be in large groups, small groups, one-on-one, whether it be in any type of situation, he is able to defend his faith and teach what needs to be shared with others. So I believe those qualifications encompass the heart of, of a man who is possibly going to be a new elder. But the next idea is his humanity, or as you might say, heart in action. Okay, how does my heart in this situation lead me to act? Well, if I have a good heart, then the first thing I'm going to have is a good reputation. And 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7 touches on that. Now, I want us to be sure we understand something here. I want us to, to go back to this 1 Timothy passage, and let's just read it again. And let's just make an observation here that I think is very important. It says in verse 2, Now an overseer or an elder, as your Bible might say, is to be above reproach. Okay? He is to be above reproach. Some of your Bibles may say that he needs to be blameless. I want you to know that what God is not saying here is that he has to be perfect. None of us are perfect. Yet sometimes when we look at the qualifications of of an elder, we look at almost like we're looking for perfection. And when you're looking for perfection, I promise you the only thing you'll ever see are people's faults. When you look for perfection, the only thing you'll ever see is people's faults. And that's a dangerous place to put ourselves. Okay, so don't expect perfection out of these men. Don't expect them to be... Don't expect them to excel in every area in here. Because if you look at these two passages, you'll notice that the qualifications in Timothy and the qualifications in Titus, they differ a little bit. Okay? They differ a little bit. They don't contradict each other, but they differ a little bit. And I think what Paul is saying here, because we've got two lists, okay, we've got two different lists, 
going to two different guys in two different places. Do I think he messed up in, in saying one thing in one and one not in the other? No, not at all. I think what he's doing is he's painting a picture here. A lot of times we look at these qualifications as, as a checkmark list. They've got to be this and this and this and this. I believe what he's done here is he's painted a picture of the character of a man that when you see this guy, these things jump out and you know this is a guy that is faithful to God. That's something Neil and I were talking about as we were getting things set up tonight is, is that this list is about faithfulness and about how that faithfulness is manifested in our life. So he says that he has to be of good reputation. He has to be blameless. Or, or in other words, he can't have any unrepented sins in his life. Okay, And I think that's important, that the idea of blameless is not that we're perfect, but that we don't have any unrepented sins in our life. Because you see, it's possible. It's possible to have a, a history that follows you that keeps you from being effective. Okay, and if you've not repented of those sins, and repentance not just saying I was wrong, repentance changing as well and working through that process, then, then you're going to not be effective as an elder, and you're going to keep our church from being effective as a church. And you know, it's even possible, and I think it's important to mention, it's possible for you to have a good, a good example and a good reputation in the church and not in public. Maybe you're coming out of a, 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 a maybe you maybe your life blew up. You had your David moment, and you fell flat on your face, and you sinned, and you've repented of it, and you've worked through in a positive direction within your, your church family, but yet as a community, you're still rebuilding your, your reputation. So, so you know, it, it is important for you to have a good reputation, not just amongst believers, but amongst the community as well. Paul says that you must be respectable. This is someone who has um, a, a decent and well-adorned behavior is how it's translated. It, it simply means that they know how to act. Uh, when it comes to them being in public, you don't have to worry about them being the guy at the football game yelling at the referees all the time. You don't have to worry about him being the, the dad at the ball field, you know, staying on the umpires the whole time and when just cringing every time he opens his mouth. That, that's not who you are. You're respectable. You're a positive influence. And then, and I've always found this interesting, this particular qualification, you have to be hospitable. Okay, You have to have the humanity of being hospitable. And he talks about this in both qualifications. And this is, a, you know, if you would, a, a, a crossover qualification. And the term carries the idea of being hospitable as in loving a stranger, like... Um, um, the story of the Good Samaritan, loving a stranger, and it starts in your heart. And it's safe to say that if you love a stranger, then you should be able to love your brothers and sisters, okay? But then there's the action side of it. And it's the idea of someone who opens their home. Now, in New Testament times, hotels were not as an abundant thing as they are in our world and our society today. Even in the small town of Haleville, we have a bed and breakfast that if people come into town, as I did when we interviewed for the job, you know, you're able to put someone up. You don't have to open your home to those type of people. There's places for them to stay. The New Testament times weren't necessarily, hotels were not the abundance as they are today. So it was important that the men that led your church were also willing to open their homes to people. And even though that dynamic maybe has changed, the idea there of opening your home for fellowship and study, of shepherding in your home, still very much exists today. 
there's the idea here of, of not a striker, as some of your Bibles say in Titus 1 and verse 7. And this is just someone who's not a violent person. They do not respond in violence to get their way. Maybe another way to say it is they're not a bully. They don't push other people around. And then again, they are devoted. They are a holy, sincere, and religious person. He is a man that is active in the church. I think this is important. He's active in the church before he becomes an elder. He is present in worship. He's present at Bible study. He's present at ministry events, at fellowship events. He enjoys his church family. He's devoted to them. I believe that's very important. Now, as I look at these particular qualifications, or really from start to finish up to this point, I can't help but think that God's called all of us to this standard of living. That there's nothing here that somewhere else in the New Testament, God does not say, you need to live this way. So uh, this study is important because, not just because this is the way elders should live, but I think at times we need to be reminded that as Christians, we are being called to a higher standard in the world. And then, like I said, he's painting this picture of these men that will serve as your leaders and saying, and these are the guys that they they figured it out. They have figured out and they've worked through some of their issues and their challenges, and they're continuing to work through some of them sometimes, and they're living this life in a way that you look at them and go, kind of like Paul said, follow me as I follow God. And they're able to say, follow me as I follow God. And so we have talked, though, about the heart. We've talked about our humanity. Now I want to talk about the home because of all the qualifications of all the qualifications, the qualifications of the home are maybe the ones that get the most questions. Okay. They're the ones that get the most discussions and have probably kept men from serving as elders at different times. And so I want us to talk about those things and, and understand that um, I, I'm going to try to give you as biblical of a thought on some of these things tonight as I can, even though uh, you may hear me say something that you've not ever thought of before, may challenge you with something. I, I I don't want you to to take the wrong opinion of anything, but I want you to listen to what I say tonight and not just react, okay? And, and now you're probably wondering, what in the world is he fixing to say? What's he fixing to do? He's fixing to go off on some left-wing tangent here and teach something that's so not biblical, but that's not the case at all. Um, and you'll see why I'm going to say, why I preface all that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that at all. Maybe I should have just gone right into it. But okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're talking about the home for just a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, if you're following along and you're paying attention, you would have you will have already noticed that my NIV probably reads something different about marriage and the qualification than the if you're reading from the English Standard or the New American Standard or the King James or the New King James tonight. But I, I want us to go back and look at this again. Okay, chapter 3 and verse 2 of 1 Timothy. Now the overseer or the elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Okay, if you're reading from other translations, like I said, the English Standard or the New American Standard or the King James tonight, you're going to hear what we've heard pretty much our whole life, the husband of one wife. But there are some other translations. My NIV, if you look at the New Living Translations and a few others, I didn't write them all down. But there is a difference in the way this phrase is translated. Some translations translate husband of one wife. Some translations say faithful to his wife. 
Now, you may look at that and say that's the same thing but different, right? And I completely agree. So when we get to these points in our translation, listen, I love English translations. Love them to death because Greek is not my second language by any stretch. I've learned how to study it. I've learned how to approach it and try to to glean insight from the original language in which Scripture was taught or scripture was written. And so when we get to places that it says, okay, two different things in different translations, then I like to go back to the original and say, okay, what, what is the actual translation? What's maybe the word for word? In this particular instance, the, the, the literal translation here from Greek to English is that he is a one woman man, a one woman man. And when I get to that, I go, well, that's great because that doesn't solve anything. That doesn't make either of them any more or any less a proper right or wrong translation. Well, let me approach it this way. And this is where I say you may hear something different, but I'm going to try to be as biblical as possible. All right? I believe that it is true that an elder must be the husband of one wife because that is the marriage standard of God. All of us as Christians have been called to God's marriage standard, and that is one man and one woman for their entire life. That is God's standard. Jesus deals with it. They're trying to come to Jesus and and, and deal with issues of Old Testament divorce. And, And I love Jesus. Jesus goes, hey, look, look. What God has worked out and, and done here, don't get in the middle of it and mess it up. Okay, what God, you don't have any right to mess up God's plan. Okay, now, is it, is there, are there going to be times where marriages don't live up to God's plan, to God's desire? Yes. And that's because we live in a fallen world. That's because we're human and we're not perfect. And and there are so many of you that are within the sound of my voice tonight that you have dealt with divorce. And divorce happens because of sin, all right? And divorce is not an issue to be made light of. Divorce is an issue that my parents are divorced, Blair's parents are divorced, and as grown children, we still deal with issues of those divorces. Divorces are not pleasant, okay? But they are not part of God's standard, I'm not trying to say you're a bad Christian if you've been through this, okay? But I'm saying this is the standard in which God has called us to. And because of that, I believe an elder is to be the husband of one wife. If this whole thing here is about the faithfulness of man and how you're living that out in your life, then obviously you are in a marriage that is you're faithful to one another. And you have figured out how to work through the struggles and the problems. And you're you're not on your third or fourth marriage and you're not living in sin and, and this and that. You, 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 are, you are the husband of one wife. But I believe there's more to it than that because I can be the husband of one wife yet not be faithful. 
See, I believe it's more than just a checklist moment here. Of, okay, all right, well, Matthew's the husband of one wife. Check, let's go to the next qualification here. No, I think it is a standard of living. It is a faithfulness to God that I am living by God's true standard of marriage. And when I look at this individual who is potentially going to be a leader in my church, when I look at his marriage, does it look godly? Has he been married to this woman his whole life? And is he faithful to her? Is he loving to her? Is he nurturing to her? Um, is he, and, and I've got these books on my, my shelf and I see them right now. Is he speaking her love language? Does he know her and know how to take care of her? Is he a nurturing husband? Okay. Because I can be the husband of one wife and not be faithful. And I believe that when you put both of those translations together, it, it shows a more faithful man. It actually calls your marriage to a higher standard than just being the husband of one wife. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to try to, to understand that, yes, there may be two different ways to translate this because a one-woman man could mean a lot of things. It could mean that one woman at a time or just one woman, you know, period, or, or I'm just faithful to this woman. And then I may, you know, have another wife later, but I'm going to be just faithful to that woman at that time. Okay, there's a, we could get into a lot of different discussions. But a lot of times those discussions cloud things and we miss the core of what he says here. And I think the core of what he says here is you've got to be faithful in your marriage. You've got to look at that man and he goes, he is a faithful husband to this woman that he has been married to his entire life. Now, the next idea here is, is not just his marriage. Oh, and, and let me say, this qualification marks the idea that he must be married. He can't be a single man, okay? He must be married. Well, let's move on to the next idea, though, from his marriage to his family. First Timothy 3 and verse 4 in Titus 1 and verse 6 says that he must have children. Now, this is a conversation that I've heard over and over in churches. This qualification of must have children is not a qualification of plurality of children. Now, I've heard that I've heard that made before that well the word children's a plural word here therefore it means he must have more than one I don't buy that especially when you look in the, in in you know when you look in the original language and the Greek word there literally means child okay it means child or or a descendant okay it it means one so so I look at it like this uh when we we have four children now but when we just had Collins if someone came up to me and said hey Matthew Blair, it's nice to meet you. Do y'all have any children? My response would have been, yes, we do have children. We have Collins. I would not have gone, well, wait a second. How do you define children? Are you talking about do we have more than one or do we just have a child? Because if we have more than, if it's just more than one, then no, we just have this. Okay, we can't, we can't split hairs too much with this. And, and, and I think some men have kept from serving as leaders in our churches because we've split hairs. The idea here is that he is a father. Okay, he is a father and that he has been a father long enough to raise his children to be believers, to be faithful, all right? And and that he has he has raised them to the point that they have developed their own faith. He has given them the guidance to develop their own faith and their own journey with God, and it is a fruitful journey, and it is a positive journey. And he says, and I like the way he says it, he says that you do all this in a manner worthy of, of full respect. 
and, and it goes back to that idea of, of being that faithful husband, that people look at you and say, hey, this guy has raised his kids appropriately. He's raised his kids biblically. He's raised them in a way that they have grown into Christians themselves. And, and I think it is important that we understand that that qualification is for them to be a believer. And, and I do. I believe that means Christians, that if they are of the age that they should be Christians, and we can have a no whole nother conversation about that. But if they are of that age, that they should make those decisions to become a child of God, then they need to. They need to do that. Um, why is all of this important? Uh, basically, he says, raising your family is the leadership training, training ground for the church. He said, he says, and this is just paraphrasing here, if you can't raise your family, how are you going to know how to, how to lead the Lord's church? And so uh, your, 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 your family, and I've always felt this way, the family unit is the most important part of the church because as the family goes, so does the church. As you raise your family, that's going to be how you're developed as a leader. And if you can manage your family well, then God says you can manage the issues of my church well. And that is a very powerful and important thing. All right, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, maybe we should have divided it up into two lessons tonight. Maybe our longest Sunday night kind of dynamic that we've had like this in a while. But I want us to end with a prayer. We're going to have a song too, but I want us to end with a prayer. And I want us to just pray uh, about this process. Pray about our church family. Pray for our leaders and our leaders to be. Then we'll have a closing song and then the night will be yours. God, I thank you so much for this study tonight. I thank you for the ability to just open up your word and just to try to, to dissect it some and to, and to have a teaching moment. God, I know we talked about a lot of things tonight. We covered a lot of ground and sometimes a lot of information can be overwhelming, but I hope that uh, this lesson has been well received tonight and that we've made sense of maybe some things uh, in regards to uh, the qualifications of the men who will lead us. God, I pray for Danny and Ricky in, in particular tonight as they will oversee this process, that, that many of us will make recommendations, but they will sit down with your judgment and your discernment and they will look at these men and they will hold their lives up to the word of God and, and they will have to make a decision of whether these men are qualified to serve you. And that's not an easy task, God. And I pray your strength upon them. I pray your wisdom. I pray for your guidance. I pray for your direction on those two men right now as, as they prepare to make maybe the most important decisions that they've had to make as elders up to this point in their service to you. God, I pray for the men that will be considered, the men that will be asked. I pray that you begin now to put their heart in the direction of being set on serving you at whatever is asked. I, I thank you for the great men that we have in this church. There is not a shortage of men that I feel, I don't feel we have a shortage of men that are qualified. They're, they're not all going to be asked, God. And we got so many younger men that may not meet the qualifications, but they're living their life in a direction, God, that is, is pointed towards you, and they're going to be great elders and deacons one day. And I just pray for all of our men that they will continue to serve. Let that be one of our greatest strengths, our, our men who are able to lead God. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection, which gives us the hope of salvation. Just help us to live our life in light of that every single day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, 
please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 930 and Wednesday evenings at 630. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.